Hi, welcome to the Awkward Angler Podcast, an authentic series talking about fishing, social justice, and storytelling with folks within the outdoor industry. I'm your host, Erica Nelson. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a self-taught angler that is passionate about sharing my learning journey. I am also a Brown Folks Fishing Ambassador, an organizational leadership developer with incredible amounts of optimism. Understanding that we all have something to learn from each other, this podcast is for the aspiring, the beginner, the mediocre, and the expert angler willing to learn new skills and how to be a better ally. Working through hard conversations can definitely get a little awkward. We fumble through them and worry about getting it right. It's time to step out of your comfort zone and start getting awkward. This show is for mature audiences. Be sure to follow for updates on awkwardangler.com and on Instagram at awkwardangler. As I'm getting to know my local fisheries and watersheds, as well as my local fly shop better, I'm recognizing that there are some additional responsibilities as an angler when it comes to conservation and protecting the health of the fish. So often I hear solutions that gatekeep, meaning the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. I've observed guides and locals fix blame on newbies, social media, geotagging, spot blowing, and we'll definitely get into geotagging on a part two. Join me this week with Marco Camamira, a fly fishing guide and fly tire that speaks to his experiences in Iowa. We discuss the difference between gatekeeping and protecting vulnerable fisheries while advocating for change and being an agent for change on your home waters. So that way, one day, we don't have to keep fisheries on the down low. My name is Marco Kamimura, um, he, him, his um, are my pronouns, and I'm currently in uh, Iowa, uh, Grinnell, Iowa, on the ancestral lands of the Meskwaki and uh, Fox uh, ancestral territories. Fishing and hunting has been in my family for a very long time, as with most people, although uh, it turned into a sporting uh, activity with my great-grandfather. I mean, a, a big part of my story and why I'm, I'm here today, um, he, why I'm in, on these lands today and why I'm doing what I'm doing today is because of him and, and my great-grandmother that made choices to um, be able to send all 10 of their kids to, to school. Um, mm. In Mexico at the time, like they had to pay for everything. It was all Catholic school. That was all there was. Mm. Um, and so uh, that's, <laughs> that drove my, my great-grandfather, Papa Manuel, to, to become a fishing guide and a hunting guide. And so he, he, worked, at a, he worked two other jobs at, at motels and doing a number of other you know, small jobs here and there, just trying to make it by. I mean, he, shoot, he made two pesos a day at the time, which was barely enough to, to buy a chicken. At the, at, at the end of the day. Um, wow. And so that was, I mean, that just wasn't doing anything for them really. And he was working his butt off for not very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but guiding was able to get him to, I mean, you get paid up to 40 pesos a day for mm-hmm. one day of guiding, which was mm-hmm. huge. And so mm-hmm. that was what flipped the, the everything, their story, his knowledge of the region, you know, from both on land and in the water, um, mm-hmm. really made made it for their family. And my grandfather, that's how he was able to go to school. And that's how he eventually was able to come here and make his way through a community college and uh, mm-hmm. get enough credits to graduate at a state college and got a job. And, you know, it set everything up for our family. One of my lineage stories. 
it's been in my family for for several generations in that aspect and um ironically whether i knew of him or not i think i'd still be a fishing guide <laughs> um which is kind of ironic but i think uh, you know in the good ways i we see history repeat itself um i have a family now here an awesome partner and a, a beautiful son that keeps me busy and and keeps me moving forward and um you know has driven my college as well as uh my fishing path i became mm -hmm. a, a fly fishing guide actually fairly recently i dove head first you know <laughs> into it and um i've just loved it um it's been an amazing ex amazing experience that i i i can definitely see from stories of my that my grandfather's told me of my great grandfather because mm -hmm. um, he's always told me since I was a kid, he's like, you have his mm -hmm. passion. Like I can see it yeah. in you. I feel that I embody. I feel that I can, I embody that, um, that passion in, in different ways and a love for people <laughs> too. And a love for food. A big part yeah. of my guiding is, is uh, burritos, I cook burritos <laughs> for people, um, different kinds of burritos. And, you know, my grandmother, like growing up when we go fishing, she'd make us whatever was in the fridge, you know, like the yeah. tortilla, your tortilla was your framework. That was your mm -hmm. frame. And then anything that was in the fridge is go in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's just how it works. So that's kind of how I, I do it with my clients too. Should I even made machaca uh, burritos like venison machaca. So deer mm -hmm. that I've harvested, wow. um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and machaca is an ancestral um, dish that um, and fact that at least from what my grandfather's told me it goes back millennia you know to yeah. when our ancestors would dry the meat with salt um mm -hmm. to keep it to preserve it and then they'd rehydrate it and machacar means to like grind or like smash mm -hmm. um and so they'd smash it with rocks to to break the meat because it was so hard wow. um and so like we don't do that that way at yeah. least in my house we do it with a slow yeah. cooker but you know in <laughs> essence you get this a similar result um right. but uh anyway wow. long story short that's how i <laughs> you know that that's a bit i mean it, it but it's important like that really really means like that those that is my story it, it, it doesn't get any shorter it can only get longer right know? so no 100 percent. that is beautiful <laughs> and thank you for sharing that I know theoretically like where my family is from, mm -hmm. but yeah. that is about all we have, um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. as far as like, I know that I have indigenous ancestry from uh, Mazatlan, Sinaloa, that area, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um, at least from what I've been able to collect and find through the internet and through talking to my family, um, yeah. our peoples are no longer around in yeah. that region that's not to say that the culture isn't still reminiscent um in in the area but um you know mm -hmm. and then we also have uh indigenous ancestry from southern baja california which mm -hmm. um could potentially be like through the pericu people mm -hmm. um but it's just so it's just mm -hmm. so our histories are just so broken and it's right. it's just so difficult but yeah. um, I'm also, my last name, Kam Kamimura, is mm -hmm. Japanese, but that's not our last name. We're mm -hmm. Okinawan. We're like in, we're indigenous Okinawan. 
Mm. Um, and so like my family came through Hawaii, uh, mm-hmm. through Maui, um, were like living and working on the sugarcane and pineapple plantations. Mm. Um, because yeah, this complicated history there. Fishing is a huge, you know, part of that side of my family as well. It just looks a little different. So Wow, so much to unpack. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why I invited you to sit with me on the Awkward Angler podcast <laughs> was totally. I have this, I, I'm, I just started fishing three years ago. And mm-hmm. now that I'm getting immersed in all things, not just technique, but now there's ethics and then there's mm-hmm. Just getting to know spawn seasons has been a journey, knowing different types of fish and when they spawn and, you know, access as far as, you know, private land versus public lands. And I know that you're really interested in um, this topic of gatekeeping and inadequate land management. And so I just attended my first um, local TU chapter meeting (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I was fascinated because it had mostly fly fishing guides on the call and local anglers Um, fly shop folks you know were also on the call and you know I didn't realize that these were discussions that I could be involved in because it seemed um, so far to I, I had no idea about land management I just never been immersed in that that's not my education and uh you know what are other ways that we can um get around quote-unquote gatekeeping because a lot, I see a lot of guides and a lot of fly anglers really get upset about geotagging and social media, but I feel like there's a little bit more to that of what can we do in our local areas to kind of protect um, and work with land management to keep the pressure off and to continue keeping these areas um, preserved um, you know, as a community. So what are thoughts around that? And yeah, just, go, I'm just going to go ahead and let you speak to that. And then we can go from sure. there. Sure. Depending on where you're at, there's, you know, it, it's hard for being a person of color, you know, finding yourself oh, yeah. feeling comfortable attending to those and which is kind of a, a nice thing about this virtual world that we're coming into is that mm-hmm. you don't, it's becoming more accessible, I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, to educate your, be educated, at least be in the room and listening mm-hmm. uh, without mm-hmm. having to feel super uncomfortable yet, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, t- I was 15, 15 when I started, you know, it could go on forever, but I started as a, a, in a, one of their trout camps in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's kind of how, yeah, I got involved in TU and TU is a big part of this conversation too, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, TU has has done a lot of really great stuff, but has also done some not great stuff and um, mm-hmm. could do better. Um, right. And I I say that even you know as a person, so I I am um, the chair for the youth committee for mm-hmm. the largest chapter in Iowa here in Des Moines. Um, and this is a big part of what I do is talk about these things and educate, right? I mean, um, and we, like, I think this starts with, with kids, um, which is why youth education is such a big deal to me. I even start, tried to start a, um, a youth trout camp here a couple mm-hmm. years ago, but life got in the way and trying to retouch that, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. But this, my experience with, access and management and this idea of overcrowding 
um, really took off here in Iowa. Um, mm. And I want to kind of put this out front and just say that my experience is Iowa. <laughs> mm-hmm. My What I'm about to talk about is Iowa, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Take this for the listeners, right? Take this, um, you know, as can be applied to what you know and what you're experiencing. I'm not going to try and talk about, you know, Colorado or, you know, California or Texas or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Out East yeah. or something, because that's just not, not what I know. Not yet, at least, right? Um, yeah. I'll be moving soon. So it'll, it will be soon. Um, but part of what makes it so, such a problem um, and this this can be applied to other places is knowing your water rights right so public versus private um, mm-hmm. in the state of Iowa uh, and surrounding states so in Iowa we are not allowed to jump off of any bridge <laughs> that we want all bridges are public so if you're you know you need a launch or get out to you know with a canoe or a kayak or something like that that's completely legal and you can even fish under a bridge um, if you know if you wanted to, but you cannot step into the water and wade upstream or downstream legally, like the wet foot rule. You may have heard of that before, um, but that is legal in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, and in Michigan where I grew up. And mm-hmm. so when I got here from Michigan, I was like, I because I started asking about like, oh, where can I fish? You know started even asking about some private streams, which I didn't know were private. And they were like, oh, that's a private stream. I was like, what do you mean a private stream? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what is like, what is that? Like, I didn't, that wasn't a thing really, you know, for me in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so started learning about the rules and, um, you know, I was still, I was just coming out of high school and I didn't really understand uh, that there were different <laughs> regulations around that um and so i you know i started going to the public areas and fishing and back maybe i guess it was three and a half years ago almost four years um that i started here and there was nobody like people really just weren't out like i could be on the stream all day by myself and not see a single other person over the past two years, that has changed drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, this year in particular, and obvious is COVID, right? Um, the COVID crowds um, uh, out, out. I mean, I call it outrageous. I, I, I don't say this to demean the people that are out, right? Yeah. Doing mm-hmm. these things, right? But I do see it as, um, as a failure of our system. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that we, you know, and because it's only a few creeks, it's only a few pieces of water that gets mm-hmm. slammed, mm-hmm. right? And everywhere else gets moderate to little pressure, which is mm-hmm. nice and nice for those that know about it and know how to fish it in this and the other. But and because a lot of people, especially guides and especially I would say even shops are like, yeah, let them screw up those few creeks and mm-hmm. we'll keep ours. Right. So yeah. the, here's the gatekeeping part. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, I'd rather them screw up a few creeks than, you know, mm-hmm. screw up all of them. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that distribution of pressure 
is a huge part of health, right? From like, you don't, I don't know, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you don't want to, like, how can you even say ruin a creek? Like, how can right. you even use that kind of language, right, yeah. to describe a sit? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, so there's that. So that's really important. And so the reason I mentioned the bordering states is because we have a lot of people, and again, I mean, I seriously mean nothing against the anglers that are doing this. This is not the problem. You are not the problem. We are not the problem. There's a lot of things that go into this. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we get folks that, you know, do come over, say, or even me, for example, came over from Michigan, right? Same as someone coming from Wisconsin or coming from Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. And don't think, don't, think that things are different it's like well why you know it's like right there like 15 mm-hmm. minutes from my house on the other side of the right what, what why would it be that different but mm-hmm. i mean it happens right so um people come you know and uh not realize um or or not 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 realize but that not realize that it has an impact right on on pressure so you know, they'll know the regulations, they'll know, okay, I can't get off of a bridge and just walk anywhere, but then where, but then people don't know where to go, <laughs> right? So then people search a name or search online, and they find the, the first name or these three creeks, and that's where everyone goes. So mm-hmm. it's just uh, this disproportionate um, distribution of pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's just, it's difficult. It's a, it's a really tough place to be because Iowa also has a very strong, um, unhealthy catch and keep culture. Right? Mm. Catch and keep is obviously a very healthy component of management. So our regulations from that standpoint is that you can take five fish home per day per license. Doesn't matter the species, doesn't matter the size. And I'm talking about trout. I should say trout, right? Mm-hmm. However, we have, so our native fish is the brook trout. Mm-hmm. We only have one stream in the state that has the original strain of brook trout, the original quote unquote Iowan strain of brook trout. That's it. And mm-hmm. it's less, it's like, it's less than two miles long. And mm-hmm. it's, it's tiny, like it's five feet wide. And they have now taken you know, uh, fish from that stream and reared it in the hatcheries and uh, planted in a number of other streams. I believe now we have 10 or 11 streams with uh, naturally reproducing populations of brook trout. In my opinion, still not fishable populations, um, but nonetheless, they are there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, right, that's that versus uh, hundreds of thousands of rainbow trout that get stocked right in Mm -hmm. other streams you're telling Mm -hmm. me that you have the same regulations for both of those species Mm -hmm. and they're obviously under extremely different circumstantial pressures Mm -hmm. right um and so you know brown trout are kind of here and there you know they have pretty strong populations in just about all of our streams at this point and i say strong with a grain of salt depends on how you see it depends mm-hmm. on what model of management you're wanting to adhere to 
to me, it's a problem to me, yeah. that, you know, if you, because also the same thing as you look at Minnesota and Wisconsin and there are like so one stream can have three or four different regulations on that mm-hmm. one stream, right? Mm-hmm. So different sections of the stream, right, are under diff, have different issues that they need to address or different population constraints. Um, you know, I think that's awesome. Like that is totally what we should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know, funding is another topic right here that you know of. Um, of research like on a shoot I would I wish you know on a bi-monthly basis or something right we would be performing uh you know like shut down the day for fishing (laughs) like one day every two months and so that DNR can go out and fish you know do uh electroshocking and take surveys Mm -hmm. and reevaluate and you know Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, Department of Natural Resources in other places that may and that's uh, what it's called in most of the Midwest um, and other places uh, out west. It might be fishing game. Generalized regulations are dangerous. I think at the end mm. of the day, that's the point that, the, that I want to get across. There's the, the saying trout to trout the world about. I don't know if you've heard that before. So saying I've heard from a number of people in the fly fishing community, typically older folks that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, they're going to eat the same thing, no matter where you go in the world, they're going to, you know, if you've got a pheasant tail, a, you know, hare's ear and a zebra mint, you're probably good to go, which is, is, is true in some regard, but then we don't think about the impact, mm-hmm. right. Of that kind of mentality as well right uh, that you know goes into the way we see fish the way we see different even different fisheries mm-hmm. right each fishery i mean i fish streams that are half a mile you know a mile away from each literally in the next valley over mm-hmm. and it's a totally different place it's a mm-hmm. it functions as a completely different entity <laughs> um, a completely different body Um, and that's, I suppose, to the degree of intimacy that you, you have a relationship that you have with that fishery, you may realize that or not. And that's, that's fine. But Mm -hmm. any, I'm a, I'm an aquatic ecologist. That's what I am studying Mm -hmm. in school. And, um, I, that has given me a, a more critical lens, um, to analyze the environments that I, experience and I get to, you know, I, I have the privilege of fishing. And um, so, yeah, that in my, I mean, if you talk to other fisheries biologists, I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing, even wildlife biologists, like in general, yeah. people that are just out, you know, on a regular basis, like it, it's a, there's a lot, biology is messy, <laughs> right? That's what he's <laughs> like, biology is messy. Um, ecology is messy and that's that's what it's supposed to be but um, when you try and it's this right I mean I guess a colonial concept of categorizations right like Mm. generalizations um, Mm -hmm. stereotypes (laughs) right come into this so what are some steps and things that either that you've done that's been successful or Mm -hmm. that you're in the works of or that other people can do and again I know that you're speaking in your area so thanks for noting that but I'm wondering if there's some 
education to be had of what, you know, maybe I could do here in this area. Sure. Whatever the place gets overcrowded and mismanaged. Absolutely. Um, like I, I am pretty close with my fly shop here. I know that that's a privilege right, to be able to have a good relationship with a fly shop. Not everyone has that ability. Yeah. So get to know, you know, get a close relationship with your fly shop. And I know exactly yeah. what you mean by that's a privilege because definitely not everybody mm-hmm. has that for sure. Even the social inequities in, in, in power dynamics of mm-hmm. our community, right, right. To, to make any kind of uh, huge change by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and I mean that not right to say that one person can't make a difference, but it's going to be with other people, right? Making a, right. you know, coming together as a collective, um, yes. to make that change. I would say the best thing people can do is to be critical about their social understanding of their area. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is identify those high pressured creeks or waters, identify those, right? And then once you've done that, see what is it that, right, is actually creating that situation, right? Mm -hmm. Is it social media? Is it, you know, somebody, you know, is it a mag, maybe like, like, and just typically it's marketing that does these, is it, is it an overload of outfitters Mm -hmm. um, on those waters? Is it access? Maybe it's that everywhere else is really hard to get access to the mm-hmm. to waters and there's only one river and i know psh, I'll talk, the the guadalupe river in in central texas mm-hmm. um uh just south of austin perfect example where else are you going to go to trout fish <laughs> right yeah. there just isn't anywhere else and so mm-hmm. now that's not a wild trout fishery but if mm-hmm. it was oh <laughs> it'd be uh be pretty uh, horrific (laughs) unfortunately Mm -hmm. um but it's all practice it's all practice of the same stuff right regardless of whether they're it's a wild fishery or not right Mm -hmm. it's there's these ethics still apply right everything's conditional right your area if you only have one trout stream well maybe you pick and choose kind of what you want to do with it open up your range of access to different species or i shouldn't say access but like um willingness to chase other species mm-hmm. um shoot i love chasing gar when i, I like my parents gar. gar so uh they are shoot they're how i describe them they're pretty prehistoric looking they look like dinosaurs like in the water oh, like um they're have you heard of, uh, heard of alligator gar by chance huh. no i'm oh, like only okay. trout. yeah yeah so. yeah yeah you're good <laughs> So they're like super toothy. Um, have you heard of m- maybe musky or pike? They're esocks. Uh, I've heard of pike, yeah. Pike. So they're like yeah. really right, long, slender long, yeah. fish. So if you mm-hmm. can imagine that with armor, basically, like plates, <laughs> like their scales are plated, uh, basically. Um, and um, yeah, they have long you know, snouts, just like, uh, mm-hmm. like pike, but even longer, like super long, like a needle. Um, and they have uh, teeth, uh, you know, lots of teeth. So um, they're they're cool, uh, but people don't chase them that much, you know. Mm-hmm. Unless, but I get Texas, like, when, so my parents lived in Fort Worth for a while before St. Louis, and so mm-hmm. I go down there and I bat, you know, bass is the big thing. But you know, I'd mm-hmm. go and catch, you know, twenty, you know, twenty-five inch 
20, 30-inch gar on, on Tinkara with a hopper. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like just put some wire, like, you know, put some 30, 40-pound wire and, you know, on a, a per, even, you know, style of a perfection loop or a non-slip mono loop or something on, you know, with a hopper and you see them cruising because they'll, they'll porpoise. And so they'll come up and actually breathe air. Uh Um, and so they'll, you'll see them come up and they'll look like they're rising, you know, to like eat something, but they're actually, they have, they're, they're a type of lungfish. Mm -hmm. Um, and so anyway, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty cool. We have so many stigmatizations of fish, um, in, in like fly fishing in particular, but fishing in general. That's a, that's a really good point of targeting different species, like diversifying mm-hmm. your catches. <laughs> you know? Right, for sure. Any other advice and whatnot? Yeah, these are yeah. great points. Um, I'd say some, so for you as an individual choosing your, even changing your own behavior, right? So leading mm-hmm. by example kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so something that I do as a guide is mm-hmm. I'm very cognizant about not fishing the same piece of water it's mm-hmm. like so I would I'm a student right student first and foremost and so I have you know I really guide on the weekends and so mm-hmm. on a week-to-week basis we're not fishing the same water mm-hmm. um, we and in fact I and if it doesn't mean I won't fish the same creek but I'm not going to fish the same stretch that I fished last week mm-hmm. um, and um that not only does that distribute pressure, it also um, creates a deeper relationship with a a fishery. Like you're gonna learn a fishery and again, uh, breaking barriers of generalization and stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. That all the water is the same and that all the fish respond the same. Well, uh, I have a creek, one of my favorite creeks here. It's basically three different types of fisheries. Like it's literally a, a, a trifold fishery. Um, mm-hmm. It's a standard spring creek at the top where you have a bunch of watercrest, which is like, a, it's a, a aquatic vegetation, holds a lot of scuds, um, you know, scuds, uh, aquatic shrimp uh, mm-hmm. type uh, bug. Um, and really just really great blue-winged olive hatches and midge hatches in the winter and mm-hmm. really strong springs so you know it's a great winter fishery and awesome it gets a little funky in the summertime because of all the foliage and and vegetation um but that's kind of that you know and it's in a pasture area Mm -hmm. towards the middle of it you get a a little bit more wooded uh, you know woodland uh riparian environment um you know bank environment um and so you get it's a lot rockier bottom some bigger boulders even um it turns into little bit more of a freestone um actually a little bit faster water some more plunge more plunge pool type situations um and you know and it's it it hits the bluffs so it'll Mm -hmm. like we have like bluff country and the driftless so um you know it'll it'll you know the creeks will literally run right under the bluff and then come back out and usually they're really deep there so you get, and then down at the bottom, it's like a, it's like a sand river almost, mm-hmm. um, like it's sand bottom, mucky yeah. towards on the banks. You have to be really careful about where you wade. You have to know how the, and again, this is part of the intimacy, right? A relationship that you grow with the, with a, a stream or a piece of water is, 
Like you have to know how to weigh these areas. You have to know how they're going to change. You have to know how they're, you know, in order to do it safely. Um, and I love that. Like that's a big part of what I do and why I do it. Um, and so right. like, you know, so yeah, so choosing these different areas with intention, mm-hmm. um, you know, and learning how to fish all of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. So investing time into these different scenarios and like, mm-hmm. you know, up top, I might be fishing a lot more scuds. In the middle, I might be, you know, in the midsection, I might be fishing some more, you know, mayflies and stoneflies because the boulders and, you know, the faster water, higher oxygenated water, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then maybe down lower, I might be fishing more leeches and really big stoneflies, maybe even helger mites. Um, I don't know if you know, like they're Dobson fly um, larvae. Um, they're really big, mm-hmm. really big. They're a, a really well-known smallmouth snack. <laughs> smallmouth <laughs> love eating helger mites. Um, so anyway, yeah. So like, uh, again, learning these different, it's, it's, you can't I, just, you know, you're not just going to show up and there it is. Everything is perfect. I but <laughs> love hearing that because I learned from a person that kind of overgeneralized everything. So I, I mostly fished the Gunnison or the Taylor River. And mm-hmm. uh, I am noticing already the differences between the Taylor fish versus the Gunnison fish, and then also mm-hmm. using different flies. And I would get frustrated because I'm like, well, this works on the Taylor and it's literally like yeah. just 20 right. miles down and it's not working, you know? And yep. so that makes complete sense. And that's just refreshing to hear. So thank you. <laughs> and it, no problem. Yeah. And even while we're on that, like even changing your rigging, like, mm-hmm. You know, each river, literally the hydraulics are different. The water yeah. behaves differently, which is going to change how fish see food, mm-hmm. how they search for their food, and how mm-hmm. they capture their food, mm-hmm. right? So, like, um, you know, uh, out in Michigan, there's sand, a lot of, like, there's super fast, high discharge, like a lot of water moving through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these, like, fish are either glued to the bottom uh, mm-hmm. under wood trying to get out kind of using like log jams kind of like an undercut bank um, mm-hmm. or they're sitting right on this uh, sand point bar like literally mm-hmm. on in the inside bend of uh, you know of the river or of, mm-hmm. of a you know of a bend trying to get um, relief from the current and mm-hmm. that's also a really great place for them to ambush um, you know ambush uh like small bait fish or especially in the springtime when mm-hmm. we have the you know baby trout or baby steelhead or baby salmon that are mm-hmm. are rising from the gravel and they'll mm-hmm. they'll school in those estu- in those um little um eddies and you know inside bends and stuff like that and so mm-hmm. a big you know pr- uh, an effective predator is going to know where those are mm-hmm. um, and an effective angler is going to know where those are and where the fish are, <laughs> right? So, but also, but it, one leads to, but one leads to the next, right? So, um, understanding hydraulics is a really big part of it too. So, like even here, like it's a, we have small creeks, but the same thing happens in big rivers, right? You have a rise in discharge, right, from a rain or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, it's going to push fish to the banks. They're mm. going to seek relief. I just learned some new rigging techniques. I didn't know that that was a thing. 
You've taught me so much, not only in this call, but just <laughs> getting to know you on Instagram and sure. you know, distributing the pressure that you're, that I'm doing in, as an individual. I definitely mm -hmm. hit this one spot pretty hard for like an entire week. Uh, and mm -hmm. now I was like, oh, actually that I can change my behavior. Right. And I can distribute mm -hmm. that pressure because that is a highly visited spot. So you've made me more aware already of like, okay, I need to be more creative and where I'm going and, and not hit that same spot that everybody's going to be at. Right. So well, thank you. And, for and it's also no, no problem. That's awesome. I'm really glad that, you know, these, these questions are coming up. Um, and it's also like, you know, for those that are listening and yourself included, like don't beat yourself up over that. Ah, oh, yeah. that creek was really good last week, you know? <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't want to go anywhere else, but it's, um, it's, and this is part, right. It's again, all within context. When mm -hmm. we're fishing for, if we were our ancestors, which mm -hmm. I would love to get back to, which is yeah. part of this management perspective, right? Yeah. Fishing for sustenance, which I do on occasions where I know I'm going to get the fish because I'm yeah. taking it home for my family, mm -hmm. right? So this is, it, it's all within context. Um, right. You know, we are, uh, I don't like the term, but it is a, it is what we do, unfortunately, at this point in time is sporting, right? We do sport. Mm -hmm. um, and so taking, you know, being respectful in as much as we can be <laughs> in that relationship is, is critical. So, yeah. And I think what yeah. comes with that is an education, right? Like kind of going back to me, yours and your partner's understanding of our own culture, right? And kind of um, working through that and, and relearning, right? Um, but we're re reclaiming <laughs> and right, yeah. that plays a part in it of like, okay, how can we move forward with not only the sport, but also connecting with our culture as well. So I definitely fish for uh, sustenance as well when I can. And if I have the proper mm -hmm. tools and whatnot <laughs> to haul it back home, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I think also just that education of moving yep. forward together. Yeah. Yep. And in that same regard, like, you know, when we, when I, and I'll speak for myself, when I choose to, to um, take fish home, I'm not going to take a fish home from those quote, uh, restored brook trout populations. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to take fish home from a stream that I know has gotten slammed all season long. I'm not going to teach, for, you know, but the, again, but it's right connects to your point on education, right? Is understand this is not readily available to the public, which no. is why this is such a big problem. And I think we need to um, empower, uplift, and amplify anecdotal like data, right? Mm -hmm. um, oral data. Um, this is where like guides need to be speaking with the public <laughs> about what's happening. And I would say, especially guides on big water. Mm -hmm. um, and now again, I say that with a grain of salt because I'm not a guide on big water. And so mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some social and political baggage that comes with that, but mm -hmm. it's, but is it, is it so bad, you know, but is, you know, is it your ego 
or is it your your is it really gonna jeopardize your career is it real <laughs> right this that and right you know it's like if mm. people get like there's so i would say a majority from what i know majority of our industry is is um driven by clientele through fly shops um you know and so and those spots are you know they're hard they're i would and especially this year they've been real hard to fill but on a typical year like the, the, those big shops they're gonna they're gonna have the people come in whether there's fish or not to be honest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um being uh yeah being advocates being agents of like of care like tenders yeah. you know um caretakers um, right yeah like, um speaking of you kind of made me think of you know those big water you know and shops and you're gonna get mm -hmm. people coming no matter what and i think that's very like under white supremacy culture which is this mm -hmm. individualistic mentality get mine you know this competitive edge yep. and it's very you know which contributes to capitalism right and so Correct. um and when you say be agents, I think of the alternative, which is seventh generation thinking Yep. and kind of thinking yep. of <laughs> like, do you ever see that kind of concept within management? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. No, we're on the same page here. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> for certain. So one of the biggest reasons I, I also got into guiding is I wanted to help bring perspective and healthy like um, habits and, and knowledge to uh, other mm -hmm. Iowan fly fishers. Two clients I had this year that were from, out of, from not from Iowa. And that was it. Wow. All of the rest of my clients were from Iowa. And that was, that was on purpose mm -hmm. um, for the mm -hmm. most part. I, I didn't not, um, I didn't say no to non-Iowans, but yeah. that was my mark, my mark, the people I actually targeted as my audience for, for clientele was here. And yeah. so that was kind of how I did that. And it's, again, for those same reasons, mm -hmm. um, keeping it local. Um, hey, this is what you had. This is your home. Yeah. You know, this is what you you have here and this is what we need to try and, and help protect and, and grow like this is possible you know like right you just we just had a you know a 30 40 fish day on a wild brown trout stream you know with a couple fish 17 inches like you know that's pretty freaking cool you know for a small stream experience um yeah. like it, it it is possible you know kind of going back to that individualistic mindset Whereas mm -hmm. I wish we could shift to kind of what you're thinking of. This is our home here. You know, mm -hmm. you're putting yourself in an educator role and taking that opportunity to educate locals and say, you know, this is important to not only me, but you and, you know, ev like our whole entire ecosystem of where right. we're visiting today. Right. And yeah. I really, really wish that more guides had that understanding because that is also adopting 
that seventh generation mentality. It's that, you know, it's more holistic. It's not so individual. It's not so me, mine, you know, having these elements of looking in a diverse perspective and bringing in this educational component that is so important for the longevity and healthy and health of, of these areas. So Thank you for sharing that. And that is a mind shift, you know, instead of saying me, mine, and I'm going to do this because I make money off of it today, right? Or this week, it's expanding that narrative and thinking of many impacts rather than just yourself. (laughs) And so that is like my personal call to action for guides and folks in the industry. And it's so off-putting when we see this, blaming social media and blaming you know of just other people for overcrowding and it's the wrong narrative I feel like it's it's pushing people out to even try when I've seen fly fishing be a gateway to conservation so once you become a fly angler you start to build a relationship with these places the word that you know is used or like that I think of this too is like reciprocity right Right. Is this um, relational um, um, relationship where we give and it's a cyclical relationship. Um, right. And to me, if we, that's the like local, the underpinnings of local <laughs> is mm-hmm. reciprocity, is reciprocal. Right. It's, the, it's the off-putting responsibility that's dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. It's the DNR's job it's the management's yeah. job to uh, do the Outer. work, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> if we all just took responsibility, imagine a world, right? Uh-huh. Right, right. And so, and the thing is like, well, you know, if we just put in some trees here and some prairie grass here and stabilize the bank and add some structure and this, that, well, and no that's only half of it <laughs> in fact some you know somebody had to take responsibility right to, in order for that to happen yep. so um we need to change our behaviors mm-hmm. to embody that to embody management to embody mm-hmm. conservation like i talk about like you know people call themselves conservationists mm-hmm. but and but don't live it (laughs) like don't you know I don't and I'm not you know there's all kinds of nuance topics that we could talk about within fly fishing which I would love to have on another call if you want but yeah there's a lot that goes into that but it starts with your mindset and how you're how you go into it like Mm. I don't know I would love to see the word love (laughs) ironically right love to see uh I come into this picture like what does it mean to love the fish to love the water to love what you do so much that you are that you that you want to think about it that deeply because people there's also this narrative that comes with fly fishing which is appropriate under context right that is I want to come out here in this serenity and, you know, be dis, dis, detach myself right mm-hmm. from the outside world and which is awesome. Right. But that detachment doesn't come with healing. 
mm. until you allow the relationship to heal you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, 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 you know, it, if not, you're just bringing your problems, i.e., yeah. colonization, uh, yep. <laughs> to a new <laughs> land. <laughs> right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So often I'm noticing people don't ask questions in fly fishing. We're just kind of, we just mm -hmm. do what we're told. Like, oh yeah, just Mm -hmm. whatever you do, just use 6X only. (laughs) I was told that. (laughs) You don't stop to ask why. And so now that I have, I'm learning new rod setups. I'm learning, you know, when to fish, when not to fish, you know, and how much I, what I can do as an individual to you know, relieve pressure and spread that out to be a more conscious angler. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah, you have taught me so much, um, not only on your Instagram account, but this call, but so there's a couple, I put out a little thing on Instagram where, um, of just like what other people are doing as far as if you're a guide, how do you work with your local forest service or, you know, what does that look like? And somebody had put, our shops keep track of where we all go. Certain permits um, only allow so much guided anglers. And then also the lodge I worked at only allowed 12 guides at a time for 30 miles of river through forest service. Mm-hmm. Um, another has been a lottery system to gain access to water. And, you know, this is a really good point of exclusivity and privilege remain the go-to solution. And so that's an interesting perspective because again, that's that grayness. That's that, you know, mm-hmm. so what do you think about limiting and, and yeah, there's just so much here. <laughs> to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what is the reasonable solution? You know, and unfortunately that is like the technical solution is limiting and mm-hmm. being exclusive. Not everyone has adopted that adaptive mindset of, hey, let's think holistically here. We're not there yet. So Mm -hmm. I guess I kind of understand um, kind of the default gatekeeping in in a sense, so. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're, like, that's what I was talking about even with the sustenance and catch and release stuff is like, well, at the end of the day, catch and release is still a tool to get back to what we want. right yeah. which is sustenance yeah. i'm gonna offer some links you know that mm-hmm. maybe we can put yeah. in an instagram post or something like that so within that there's one link that mm-hmm. talks about um uh the excise tax that comes with um so i'm a uh i'm a fly tire um and so i produce a product <laughs> right which um falls under the an excise tax bracket, right? So I pay 10% um, that goes towards, you know, goes towards wildlife and sport fishing rest- mm. restorative work um, mm-hmm. funding. So does rods, you know, all the rods we buy, all the reels, all the fly, all fly shops and, and fishing shops and all these things, right? Every, even manufacturers, right, have to pay this tax, um, mm-hmm. which goes into funding or uh, management well there is this the way this works though and there's a model and there's an image that I we can I can also share it's called they call it the cycle of success Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it starts with benefits to like or with it's a cycle right so it doesn't really start anywhere but 
you can't get funding without doing everything else first. So it I, theoretically starts with uh, public benefits, which are opportunities, choices, and recreation. Mm -hmm. Ironic how that, right, like uh, sustenance is not in that model. Um, industry benefits, which is, right, which also brings in race, right, and, and na even nationalism into this. Um, yeah. I grew up, I grew up, you catch it, you eat it. <laughs> That's how I grew yeah. up. Um, so um, anyway, so and then there's the industry benefits, um, which is sales, growth, and conservation. Um, interesting how we were, there you go, yeah, how we were talking about um, capitalism being part of this problem. Mm -hmm. Well, there you see it, right? And right, who, so are we, are we here to, mm. it's just, it, it, and it's, it's, it's complicated, right? But then it yeah. goes to hunters, shooters, anglers, right? Basically equipment, purchase of equipment. Um, mm -hmm. and then the tax that comes from that and at mm -hmm. the end of the day that goes into the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service which mm -hmm. ends up in funding projects well there's also this inequity of right we talk about inequities of of uh of equipment right of, mm -hmm. of financial right um access to equipment well mm -hmm. these um this system have driving dr literally drives prices, right? Mm. But, be, but it's on the business end. It's not on the management end. It's businesses saying, "I want to make X, Y, and Z amount of dollars," and so I'm gonna put it on the right on the consumer. So part of the way I I do business, and this is just me, right? So I'm mm. not gonna. But this, I just want I want this conversation right to allow people to ask questions, right? Um, mm about their own experiences and about other experiences. It's just what this is about. I'm not criticizing, you know, any particular business, right? Yeah. Because we're all in this together at the end of the day. Um, part of what I do and my goal, right? I mean, I, I am going to college to try and get a, a job right? at the end of the day doing something else. Uh, and mm -hmm. my fly tying is a subs supplemental thing for now, mm -hmm. right? And, um, you know, I kind of, the way I round this out is, um, you know, I'm not, I don't need, to, I don't need to make a bazillion dollars off of this stuff. I yeah. like, I maximize my materials and this is the other, right. At, so I'm going to go on to go into fly tying, you know, and shoot that way. But I'll just say that, you know, I am very intentional about my material use. Um, and I actually, like, I am able to keep my costs very, very low um, mm -hmm. for what goes into it and the amount of time it takes me to tie one. But that's taken, I mean, I've practiced that, right? Um, and that's, an, an, I'll, I'll just say it, we don't have to talk about it, but I'll say that I think skill is something that colonization has removed from our systems as well. Mm. Um, that is part of sustainability and is also part of this management conversation. Um, but it, not everyone has the time for it, right? Not everyone has the resources for it, not everyone, right? So it's, it's again, complicated. What is the goal here? Right? Yeah. Is the yeah. goal for businesses to make money or is the goal for the fish mm -hmm. to benefit, you know, who, who's benefiting? Because um, unless you have sustenance, Mm -hmm. which is not in this model, 
you cannot right. have people and fish cannot benefit. Thank you so much again for your time and your knowledge. And I have a lot to chew on and I learned a ton. I took so many notes, so I am really excited <laughs> to um, just learn more and stay connected with you. And yeah, just thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and, and being with us today. Yeah, no, thank you so much. While Marco spoke to his experience, I hope this generates some thought and how to create action on your home waters. My hope is that anglers can form better relationships with other recreationalists, water users, guides, land managers, conservation groups, as well as indigenous leaders. At the end of the day, consider how our individual actions have greater impact on the water and the fish. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Head over to awkwardangler.com for show notes and resources. You can send appreciations by subscribing, sharing with a friend, rating the podcast, or Venmo at Awkward Angler. Special thanks to my brown folks fishing family for your support. I'm Erica Nelson, inviting you to be an awkward angler. See you next week. <laughs>